God, we just thank you that this is a significant year and that we're going to live it to the full. <laughs> Have you been to Jesus, to the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I mean, these are like basic old hymns. Probably some of you have never heard that, but it's just like, these are like the hymns that have sustained the church in faith and commitment. How about, I need thee every hour I need thee. Anybody think like you can last more than an hour <laughs> without active grace in us, in our lives is what's setting us free. You know, we're, we're continually being saved by grace and we're being transformed by encounters. So I just wanna, so I, I just wanna give you a, a a word um, that I that really impressed me. Ann and I, by the way, last Sunday we were in Boca Raton and Life Center Boca Raton had its first meeting, actually two meetings. One was the, the prayer meeting that y'all had here. And, and it was just as good there. People were weeping, praying for prodigals and all kinds of stuff. You know, they were kind of, Stretching on like, wait, where's Lebanon? Where's Lancaster? When we did the geographic thing, but we just shout out, pray for Palm Beach County, pray for Broward County, wherever you're from. People have burdens, you know, and a lot of, so many of them have been here, you know, from probably were praying for Harrisburg, and that's so good. But uh, Sunday morning, the play, you know, the play, all these people came from all over who would never go to the meeting in the house that's in a gated community, and you have to call this number and let them know you're coming. And it was just amazing. Vinny and Stephanie and the Secor family were there. That was great. Uh, and they brought a crew with them from this business in West Palm Beach. And Mark, Marcus Young, there's the other Marcus, Marcus Young's, one of his sons, Rook, and his wife and baby were there. And it was just like, God, this thing is really happening. So today they had their second meeting, you know, so. All right. Uh, but what, then on Thursday night, we were in Sarasota and we, we attended a prayer meeting because the, the church that we, we usually visit this church on Saturday night just because we like the presence and, um, and we, you know, like the people. And I'm not trying to preach on Saturday. You know, I think I want to get my tank filled here. But the, uh, so they had a prayer meeting because they're doing a week of prayer and fasting. So we went to the prayer meeting. We weren't fasting. We were fasting during the prayer meeting. We weren't eating at all, but the, uh, but the, it's a very short fast. But no, I think we fasted a little bit. But the, uh, the but anyway, while they're praying, when the the presence of God came and it was amazing and beautiful, and um, but they during the prayer meeting in this in the room that they were using, there was a an appeal to heaven flag draped over the podium. And it, it got me thinking. And I, I started thinking, oh, there, and there's, there's one I got off the internet. But um, I, I started thinking about the word appeal, you know, because I thought, like, I wonder what that... And it, it's like, it means to call out. You know, like if you speak French, you say, I call myself, je m'appelle, and you say your name. In Spanish, it'd be me llamo, you know. I call myself. It means to call. And so I, 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 was, I like words, so I'm a word nerd. And, uh, but I, so I, I started, I, I said, I'm going to look that up. 
in, on my phone in a little phone dictionary, and I, and I saw three things that I thought, this is what happens when we press in and seek the Lord in prayer. It's, um, and it, this is just what it means to appeal. An earnest call for help with expectation of response. It's like we're crying out. Um, th- this one I love. A request to a higher jurisdiction with the expectation of reversal. So this is what we do. We don't like the way things are going. We go up and we, we petition for a reversal to the judge of all judges and the, the most supreme court. And then, but here's what happens, you know, as we press in, the, uh, there's another sense of appeal, which we say, Appeal is a quality of being attractive or interesting. You know, like it, the appeal draws us, it calls to us. Like some, and I know it's, it's not all strictly male or female, but generally we could say there are, there are men here who, you know, hunting appeals to you. Like you're looking forward to it, you know, or, you know, if you're a golfer, those 18 holes are calling to you, you know, know, whatever it is, we're, Asking about, like, if we think about it, it, it calls us, and so this is the appeal. But here's what happened. When we press into heaven, we become appealing to God. He always loves us, and it's like, but when we recognize it and we go after it, our appeal to him draws him. You know, it, this is Peter, you know, or James, you know. Re- submit to God, resist the devil, but draw near to God, and he draws near to us. See, he, he's, as he appeals to us, we're, we become appealing to him, and then his appeal comes down to us through into the world. So the actual, the call of heaven comes to us, we become ambassadors of Christ. So all this is happening. So the interesting history on that flag, which you don't have to put it back up, uh, but that flag, as I understand it, was it, it, that flag predated what we think of as the American Revolution because the American Revolution actually started a few years before, you know, 1776 uh, with lots of, you know, because what happened as the colonies became increasingly convinced that the government they were receiving from England was harmful and not beneficial, this began to stir in their hearts and it was giving birth to something that God actually wanted to give birth to. But as I understand it, these flags were flown on a small fleet of ships that were off the coast of America. Now, the hilarious thing is, so they're, I mean, they're like strutting their stuff in a sense, like, hey, we're gonna protect our coast. But the British Navy was the mightiest navy on earth at that time. And within a year or two, they would send a fleet of over 400 warships into New York City and then to Boston. And, you know, and so it was, you know, so, but this is kind of like, you know, here we are. And their, their audacity was an appeal to heaven. You understand? So this is like, there's, and so we may be feeling like, I, I mean, actually, I feel like the last few years in America, is like it's the lead up to some kind of some kind of situation that's going to change, you know. And I, I'm not going to prophesy 
what's gonna happen, but I'm just saying this is a year God has an open door in heaven, and I know um, that's probably a prophetic word that there's an open door in 24. There's all, you know, <laughs> prophetic words that a lot of times are plays on words, and God, nothing's accidental or incidental. So in some sense, all of life is a message from God. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, the rocks and the hills cry out. It's, it's just, you know, somebody may go like, well, you know, unless God shows up, I'm, yeah, I just think it's somebody's opinion. And that's not a position of faith or humility. <laughs> like if I can't, you know, if, if I don't agree with it logically, it's not God. Hmm, that's interesting. So see how you feel when you die and you stand before him. Anyway, but um, Revelation 4.1, I feel like we're in this moment where there's a door standing open. Revelation 4.1, after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here. However it said that sounding like a trumpet. <laughs> anyway, come up here. And I, that's where the mute, but... Um, but this, I'm sure, was not muted. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. So I think we're in an, a, um, in an, an opportune time to press in in prayer and going after God, it, both corporately and personally. All right, quickly. Um, and so as I've been reading through Genesis, and many of you, if you read the Bible in some kind of like annual cycle, you may have been recently reading in Genesis, or you are. And, but I, I noticed the appeals of, of these three patriarchs. It's very interesting that, you know, from chapter 12 to chapter 50 of Genesis, it's basically the story of four generations of one family. And actually, the first 11 chapters, which are pretty important, because like how did we get there, are kind of the prelude to the setup of why it was so significant that God spoke to Abram and he followed. And anyway, so, and the thing is, the great thing is there's all this wisdom in the details of their dysfunction and their response to God, you know, because unlike, you know, like almost all religions are based on some kind of mythical, amazing person, you know, who didn't have any faults. Like Buddha was born a certain way, and you know, and uh, I, it just. But we don't. Know, nobody knows where they are now, you know. Or Muhammad uh, was a, a prophet, and but the, the Quran has like zero personal information. The Torah is a treasury of human nature and interaction and wisdom and guidance and, and all these details, like there's nothing like it in the entire world, you know. This is why the, quote, Judeo-Christian culture that arose is, has, has helped the world prosper like none other. And if we get away from it, so there's always stuff to study, like, well, you know, Jesus took care of all that. It's not... The law, the, wait, the law, you understand, Torah means instruction. It doesn't mean law. You know, in, in kind of a way, we make a mistake when we say the first five books of the Bible are law. No, they're instruction. 
It's God giving wisdom to human beings that are hungry. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would release, a, you would just release wisdom and revelation in knowing you better, knowing ourselves better, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts and you'd reveal to us how amazing this walk and this relationship you've called us into is. In Jesus' name, amen. So anyway, this is my, my take on this, and we're gonna kind of sail through this. But the th three, I, I saw that Abram, Abraham and his son Isaac, Yitzhak, and his son Jacob, Jacob, all had very different personalities and different ways that they appealed to heaven, but they all appealed to heaven. And they are, what God is doing is he's tracing the promise. This is called redemption history. And so, um, and basically, I want to say that the first, the first way that's very much revealed in Abraham is chutzpah. You know, it's like, it's like, uh, which chutzpah, I think, is a Yiddish word, and somebody can correct me if it's Hebrew, but uh, all these three words all start with C. This is like a preacher thing. Chutzpah and conversation and um, collision. <laughs> the three styles of, of, of the appeal. So in Hebrews 4, we're invited um, we're told that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with all our problems, and, but we've got one who wants us to hear. And so we're told in verse 16 to come with confidence, with boldness, with chutzpah, uh, to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So chutzpah, like if, it's basically like what, what the Brits would call cheek, uh, what we would call guts, it's what's called nerve. It's what's called just uh, gall. Like, boy, they got a lot of gall. And that's how faith operates. Like, this is Abraham's faith. He is doing something entirely unprecedented in the history of the world. He's following a voice. You know, there may have been preparation in his heart and all, all this stuff. But, but Abraham, in his relationship with God, in his prayers with God, definitely had chutzpah. And I want to say that that about 70 to 80% of real faith is chutzpah. It, it's like if we get so meek that we're paralyzed in unbelief. You know, we think we should do something and now we're waiting for a sign from God, but he already put it in our heart. And we're waiting and he's waiting. And until you take a step in faith, John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Until you take a step in faith, you're not going to hear the voice of the Lord behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. We're like, oh God, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And well, maybe just take a step and find out. You're young enough, even if you're under 100, you're young enough that God can correct your mistakes. He's factored in the stupidity factor into everything we do. And so without faith, you're paralyzed with fear, fear of making a mistake. I, here, I got news for you, you will make mistakes. So you have permission. <laughs> and anyway, so, so here's Abraham. Abraham 
you know, God promises them a land, a nation, the world's gonna be blessed, and he follows God. I'm sure there was preparation, but you know, he questions God at different times. Genesis 15, you know, it, it, this happened at night. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield and your great reward, your very great reward, or your reward shall be very great, uh, as the English Standard Version puts it. And Abram said, but God, what will you give me for I continue childless? Do you understand? This is like, like, where's the stuff, God? And, uh, and so then it, it goes on and says, behold, you've given me no offspring or in, and a member of my household, my servant's gonna be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Okay, and then he says, go outside, get out of the tent, look at the stars. If you can count them, that's how many children you're gonna have. And in that moment, Abram believed. It just was like, this was a gift from God. He believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, he didn't have his child the next week. In fact, it's decades more before he's gonna have his child. But, um, but there's something about faith that it, it gives you like the substance of what you're hoping for. In that moment, it's like real to you, and so you act on it. And, uh, and so the, the, the other place where the chutzpah really shows up is in Genesis 18, uh, you know, first of all, like, God says, hey, this time next year, Sarah's gonna have a son. And Abraham's like laughing his head off and God says, and, and you're gonna name him Yitzhak, laughter, okay? And then he, it, this is going on and Sarah overhears it and she laughs and then God says, why did you laugh, Sarah? She goes, I didn't laugh, so she lies to God and God said, hey, you're gonna have it, you'll see. It's like, we th sometimes we think God is just like, Ooh! oh, you told a lie. Well, now you, you just forget it. Your whole life's ruined. It's like, get over it. If we didn't need to be saved, he wouldn't save us. And, and the Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth. And he works in us. You know, so it's just like, it helps us. Humility and holiness go together, right? Like you have to realize, okay, I, don't, I haven't made it yet. But then, so, but then, this thing happens where Abraham is standing and, and they said, we should tell Abraham what we're planning to do. So Abraham is standing, which is like a word for praying. Like he's standing before the Lord and they say, look, Sodom and Gomorrah really stink and we're going down there to see if it's really as bad as we think it is in heaven, which is kind of uh, silly, but th this is how the story is being played out. And why? Because it's all part of the redemptive journey. And so Aram says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is all in Genesis 18, but I, I don't wanna uh, take too long. And he says, well, you know, far be it from the judge of all things to do wrongly, what if there were 50 righteous people? Would you spare it? Because now Abraham remembers his prodigal nephew Lot, who was selfish and who took the best looking land and moved there and, and maybe, you know, so, and Abraham had, had to rescue him and all, all this stuff. And so, so he says, well, what if there were 50 righteous people there? And God said, yeah, I'd spare it if there are 50. And then he goes, how about 40? Yep, I'd do 40, hmm, okay. Well, what about 30? Yeah, that's good. 20, yeah. 10, hmm, yeah. 
And so this conversation goes on. This is all in Genesis 19, and, uh, or Genesis 18, sorry. And then we get to verse 32, and Abraham says, well, you know, don't be angry. I'll speak this again but once, like I know I'm getting to the limit, because it's a big place. What if there were just 10? He goes, yeah, I'd spare for 10. For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And then Abraham stops. And I've heard this preached, and I probably have preached to myself that, yeah, well, if Abraham had only gone, what about two? What about one? That he could have saved the whole place. But that wasn't the point to save the whole place. As I think, I think, like, Abraham goes like, whoa. Okay, he would spare it for 10, but he's still going to go destroy it. Like, that place, it does stink. You know, like, like he's like, I think I've come to the end of my conception of that, that the righteous remnant could spare a whole city, even though God said, yes, that can happen. That's real, so don't quit being the righteous remnant in a, in a sick and dying world. But, the, but then it, it says, the next day, and so the, the Lord, go, you know, they go, and in uh, the next chapter, we find out in verse 27 of Genesis 19, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Like, he goes back to the place of prayer. This is like morning prayer. You know, like, I'm gonna go there and stand. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and all he could see was smoke, and, and the place looked like, like smoke coming up from the furnace, and, and he's like, oh, man. And, uh, and so... So it was, this is verse 29, this is key. This is a history maker thing happening here. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the city. And so it's not like God ever forgot Abraham, but as he's going down and these angels are going to destroy and they're gonna release fire and brimstone, it's like that characteristic of chutzpah appealed to God. Like his heart's drawn, like now he loves, like Lot's a rat and he loves him anyway. And I, yeah. Hey, make sure you get Lot and his wife and his daughters out of there. And maybe the son-in-laws will come, but they didn't. Anyway, and the wife didn't make it very far. But, but, this, is, but this is in the New Testament. Fast forward to uh, Luke 15 where the Lord is teaching on prayer. The Lord's prayer version of Luke is in Luke 11. And the very next verse, Luke 5, like, so this is how you pray. This te teaches how to pray. This is how you pray. And right after he goes through what we call the Lord's prayer, then Jesus said to them, suppose you had a friend and you go to him at midnight, which you have to understand in that culture, going to somebody at midnight, it's like going in our culture, going at 3 a.m., right? Because like they didn't stay up late, Everybody went to bed when it got dark or, you know, when they, they said, well, that's enough oil, we don't want to, and it was good, it was healthy. They went to bed early and they got up early. So in the middle of the night, okay, that's the setting, because some of you, especially if you go to a college campus or you live, in a, you live in Italy or Argentina or someplace where, you know, friend at midnight, yeah, all the time, you know, like, I, I was, this really happened in the 1980s, I was in Buenos Aires, we're in this nice restaurant, it's 1 a.m., and we're having, you know, and all the waiters are wearing silver buttons and white coats. And, 
and a family with small children comes in to be seated at 1 a.m. You know, this is like a whole different culture. But, but that's not the, the culture here is everybody's in bed by seven, you know. And so, the, and so someone coming at midnight is obnoxious. Okay. So, and you suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Say midnight. Okay. That's, say 3 a.m. Okay. You'll get the idea. Friend. Lend me three loaves of bread. Now, the word there for loaves in the Greek is huge loaves. This isn't like, hey, do you have some biscuits, you know? But it's like, friend, I need a lot of bread. And uh, a, a friend of mine has come on a journey and I have no food to offer him. And suppose I went inside and says, don't bother me. I'm already, like, they, you know, the whole family sleeps in one room. He says, I'm in bed with my children. I can't get up. He's all these things. And, and then, and he keeps, <laughs> you know, and it, then Jesus, this is Jesus, verse 8, Luke 11. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, chutzpah, he will get up and give you as much as you need. Here, take it, take it. You want, wait, I'll give, here's six loves, do not come back. Okay, but it's like, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. In other words, Jesus is authorizing his disciples. Look, be bold, be obnoxious. Ask for it, go for it. Just saying. So this is, I believe, Abraham's style. You see it with the widow and the judge. And in some ways, when Jesus commended the unrighteous steward who you know, said, hey, how much you owe? Okay, we're gonna cut it down. He was commending, he said, the children of this age have more wisdom than children. But he was commending chutzpah. So I just wanna authorize you, go for it. Ask big, go for it. And if you make a mistake, you might actually, you know, God might chuckle. It's not like, I can't stand this guy. It's like, okay, you're going to learn. You know, like you'll, you'll get wisdom. But I'm just saying, okay. Now, next style of prayer, Isaac. Isaac. And Isaac is a very interesting character. Isaac never left the promised land. Abram came from someplace else. He went down into Egypt. And God told Isaac, don't go to Egypt. So Isaac stayed. Isaac was traumatized. Isaac was special. He was a miracle child as a young man or, you know, some, maybe a teenager, young. He, he, oh, I mean, his dad is ready to kill him with a big knife and he's laying there taking it. There's something that may have traumatized him. Um, I mean, you think, you know, like, ah, you know, but he, I mean, you could tell like, his personality, like, okay, I'm just going to be. And so we have this thing and now his mom dies and his dad, who's 138 years old, says, whoa, you know, uh, I, can, I need to buy a cave. I'm supposed to have this whole land, but I'm going to buy. He buys this, the, the cave and the field, and then he sends his servant to go. And my son is 40, and he's not married yet. Go find him a wife. He won't, he's not going to do it himself. He, it, was, it was just his style. So dad gets him a wife. And so Isaac is, but Isaac is blessed. He becomes wealthy. He redigs. He, he basically, almost like a mini-me, not of, of his dad, like he just does what his dad did. He redigs his wells. Very important. And God blesses him, and he becomes wealthy, and, and you know, the, the local people hated him. There's anti-Semitism. It's, it's the, the jealousy against the blessing of God on somebody. And, the, and so, 
But at the point when Rebecca is being brought on the camels, he's out, it's the afternoon, it's getting toward evening, and he's out praying. But it's not like intercession prayer, it's conversation, it's complaining, it's processing, it's, it's just a very different style, and God loves him. And some of you, you know, you've got the chutzpah part, and some of you, you're wired differently. Like, I love the presence of God. I love, I can be in a prayer meeting and not say anything. I mean, I say little things, but I'm just communing with God. And, and sometimes you're in a prayer meeting and you think like, why aren't they saying something? Especially if you have the chutzpah or the, the wrestling, colliding kind of personality. But, but man, they're in it. He's, he is just in this suach, this minya conversation with God and his future arrives. He didn't do the work. Might even been something he would have never done. And God blesses him abundantly. Just saying. So, okay. So, quick, quick, quick. Um, The third style. And so, I I just want to say, by the way, Cornelio, Cornelius, Genesis 10. He's this Italian centurion. He's praying in the afternoon like Isaac. And God speaks to him and opens a door that'll bring the future, the the age to come into the Gentiles. Because he's going to send for Peter. He even gives him the name. Peter doesn't know anything about it. He's hungry the next day. It's at noon. This is like he acted quickly. 21 hours later, Peter's hungry and he's up praying at noon and their, you know, lunch is slow and he has this vision and all kinds of food comes down and it's all unclean. Lobsters and, you know, armadillos and, you know, I don't know what, but stuff he would never eat. And God says, kill and eat, Peter. He goes, no, you know. And Peter had done a lot of bad things, but he had kept kosher in his diet, you know. So it's like, and so, and then God speaks to him and he says, um, some people are gonna knock on the door and go with them. And so there he goes and he starts giving the gospel and Cornelius says, the Holy Spirit falls and the gospel just <laughs> broke through a barrier. So I'm just saying, you can be a, Uh, like just a meditative person and you're still part of breaking the barriers and going through the door. So I just want to bless you. I want to authorize you all to go for it. That's what, and then the last one, collision with God. And I'm, um, I have to do this quick. I didn't try to figure this out. Jacob spent a lot of his life running from trouble that he had, you know, he had gotten himself in trouble. Like he was more, he was wrestling in the womb you know, Rebecca was pregnant. She's going, what's going on? And God says, two nations are in your womb, you know, and, they're, and the, the younger will be greater than the elder and the elder will serve the younger. And, and so re- she remembers this. Dad doesn't, you know, dad likes, likes his son Esau. He's a hunter and he brings back this great goat meat or, you know, Elon meat or whatever, gazelle. And, uh, and, he, and he fixed it up. But but Esau had a short memory and a lack of appreciation. And so Jacob, you know, basically tricked him, conned him out of his birthright, which, you, you know, the onus was on for Esau for not honoring it. But Jacob was after it. Jacob, his mom said, Jacob, when you were in the womb, God told me all these things about you. And so Jacob's going for it. 
And then at the end, the big thing is he tricks, <laughs> he, and he had mom's help. He lies to his dad and does this whole charade, and Isaac's gone blind, and boy, he must have really, I wonder if he had maybe he'd had a stroke or something, because he, it's like he wasn't all there, and then later he seems like he's there, you know? So some kind of event in his old age. But, but he, so Jacob steals Esau's blessing, and now Esau's ticked. And he says, and, and when Jacob realizes what's happening, he starts trembling. Like, this is a very emotional event, and it's unusual that, that the Scripture would take that much time to develop the emotional dynamics, because it's real. It's very real. It happened that, you know, Isaac starts trembling, realizing what he's done. He has total faith that the blessing he gave cannot be repeated, so he gives a different blessing. And then Esau is bitter, and he says, "When I'm not gonna do this while dad's alive because I wanna honor him, but as soon as he's gone, I'm gonna kill my brother. I'll get my blessing back. And so Jacob, anyway, they go out of town. We know the story, Genesis 28. He's running from trouble he gets tired and he falls asleep and he uses a rock for his pillow and he has this vision where he sees heaven open, angels ascending and descending and there's like, and the Lord, and he wakes up and he's completely changed because in his mind he was running without God but what happened was he ran into God and he said, you know, when I went to sleep I didn't realize God was in this place and, and in the Hebrew, it. The, the I is used twice and it's used in this emphatic way. So it's almost like saying, I got changed by this. I'm totally changed. And God spoke blessing again to him. He says, now, I, he said, I'll be with you. I'll protect you wherever you go. And so, so he's, and he, he says, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And the, I just want to say this. The gate of heaven is open to us. The gate, Jesus said you'll, to Nathaniel, you'll see angels ascending and descending on the son of man the Mashiach, you know, I've come to open heaven to you. And, but this is unique for Jacob, so then he goes to, to Laban, and Laban's a bigger shyster than he was, and Laban deceives him, he falls in love with Rachel, but the, the messianic promise is gonna come through Leah, so they have a miserable family, you know. Uh, Leah's depressed because she's not loved, Rachel's depressed because she, is barren and, and it's like, and so Jacob is, he's still going for it, he's still blessed. Laban changes his wages 10 times, deceived him. Finally, he's running for his life from Laban. And he's running back to where Esau is waiting. But the thing that Jacob, now this is wild, this is 22 years later and Jacob is still traumatized by that threat. I'm gonna kill you, brother. I'm just gonna wait till dad dies, but don't worry. You won't see it coming. So he ran off. But now he's coming back and he remembers it and he's very afraid. And he gets to the brook Jacob and he has like this whole military strategy. Okay, I'm, I came out with nothing and I'm coming back with much. I'm gonna split it into two companies and I'll send one this way and one that way. And at least one, if he attacks the one, at least half of what I have will be saved. It's kind of this weird uh, idea. And then that night he's alone. He sends them on a cross and he's alone. And, and he, 
is, uh, thank you. That's my attention that I'm gonna have to leave soon. The, uh, the, uh, but it, I mean, it's just wild because it's like he is sure he's going to die even though God has said all this stuff to him. And so he collides with God again and a man appears. Now, you know, if we had time, you act this out. This is a wild story. He's there huddled, huddled. Maybe he's got a little tiny fire burning so nobody's going to see it. And suddenly out of the darkness, this guy jumps him. And so Jacob is a fighter and he starts fighting back and they wrestle and wrestle and they wrestle all night. And, and as he's wrestling, I, you know, he keeps seeing this guy's face and maybe his face, I don't know if his face changed because he, later he called it the face of God, you know, this place that he saw. And he, when he saw Esau, he said, I, maybe everybody he had ever tricked showed up in that face and he's wrestling with his fear. He's wrestling with his, his personal, uh, you know, unethical approach to getting the blessing of God, all this and all night long. And now the sun's coming up, and God, this is the God, the Dracula side of God, like, oh, the sun's rising, I must leave, you know, but in a Romanian accent, but it's not, it, that, I mean, it's just a funny thing, like, okay, I, I, it, this is long enough. And so, but he, but Jacob wouldn't let go, I won't let go. So he, God plays unfair, dislocates his hip, which is really painful. If you've ever had any dislocated joint, man, this is like, <gasps> and so, and then he says, bless me. And so God's response to him is, what's your name? Oh, I hate my name. Yaakov, I'm the cheater. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the, I always am trying to get all I can and can all I get. And, uh, and God says, Yaakov, I'm giving you a new name. Israel, Israel, you're a prince with God because you have fought with God and you've fought with man and you've prevailed. And I like it. And I'm giving you this name that'll endure. It'll become famous. It'll be, an, and, and so he blesses him with, the, with changing his name and he comes out from this collision with God. He now has a new name and he has a limp. And then he, when he gets to Esau, he's going to realize Esau has forgotten about it. 22 years, man. And, he, and he's terrified that Esau's going to kill him. And Esau meets him and says, I'm good. I got lots of stuff. I don't need your stuff. And, but now he's changed because now, now Israel. Now Jacob would have said, good, I'll keep my stuff. And, uh, and that's great. But he says, no. Let me, let me. He says, because when I saw your face, I saw the face of God. It was like the face of God, which he had just encountered with. And so he's seeing something he couldn't see before. And I, so I just, I just want to release this grace to lean in to God. And some of you, now, you know, some of you, like, it's not like we could categorize everybody like, okay, are you a chutzpah seeker? Are you just like the quiet, awesome seeker? 
It's so good. I just come in the prayer meeting and I have nothing to say, not because my heart's not full, but because my heart is full. <laughs> I'm communing without words. Or I, you know, I don't know why I'm this way. Everybody's irritated at me. J Jacob basically caused trouble wherever he went and was blessed. And so some of us, we're just wired that way. We're going to go after things and, and maybe we're spend a bit of our time running from trouble. And, but God, God, I just want to stir you up to go after God. And so in the first service, I had people, hey, how many of you are definitely chutzpah, kind of, this is how I live my life before God. And then I asked how many, you're more like conversation with God. I just like to talk and hear. And it's all important. And how many, but here's the thing. We need Jacobs. I think Chandi last week quoted, you know, this is the generation, the Jacob generation, you know, or the, in other translations say the God of Jacob, you know. So God is, calls himself the God of Jacob. Like he likes that aggressive capacity to go for, like my mom told me I was going to be blessed, I'm going for it. You know, like I just, but. I want to say that I think in every life there are different times where we move in and out of that. But I, want, I, just, I just felt like God said, release more, more grace to lean in, more grace to go after God. Because either way, we're going to encounter God, he's going to, sh he's going to transform us. You know, we see that with Abraham, we see that with Jacob in particular. He's going to bless us and he's going to prosper us and he's going to protect us. These are the promises. So no matter what's going on in the world around us, we're a people apart. We're citizens of heaven. We're in the earth. We may be persecuted. The worst thing that anyone could do to us is kill us physically. And then if we've lived our life before God, we step right into his presence. <laughs> it's like we get crowned. We're crowned, even if it's crowned with a martyr's crown. It's like, this is a crown that lasts for eternity. But if we live selfishly, if we live in fear, we never get there. So I'm not trying to call forth martyrs deliberately, but I'm just saying, like, whether we live or die, we glorify God. How many of you, just raise your hand if you go, you know what, I got that hoot spot thing, it's wired into me. So just keep your hand up and be proud of it. I know Richie does. I know you just, I'm telling you, Hootspot people become the best salesmen, especially if they have a little wisdom. So God, we just pray you would amplify and revive Hootspot boldness in your people in prayer and as we live in our world. How many of you, and I know a lot of you, we all move in and out of these, but how many of you, like your favorite place is conversation with God? Like, like you don't, you know, like you don't need anything from God. You're just happy to be with God. And some of you may raise your hand more than once here, but raise your hand if, if conversation's like a main, okay, God, I just pray for deeper intimacy, more revelation, more blessing, more peace, shalom, shalom, for those who keep their minds stayed on you. In Jesus' name. Now, how many of you, and there might be fewer of you, that you just say, you know, I can look. Do you know at the end of his days, Jacob died in Egypt. Like, figure that out, you know. Israel died in Egypt. But he's going to resurrect out of Egypt in 400 years. So, but, so how many of you just say, yeah, you know, I've been running from trouble my whole life. 
And even that, like I get there, God blesses me, and then I get in more trouble. Any, any Jacobs here? Any Jacob generation people here? Nobody wants to admit. I see a few. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, God. God, we thank you for people that have enough. Uh, Edgar, yes. Okay. God, yes. I say yes. I say amen. I see it. That's why you're married to Yadira, right? <laughs> okay. So, Father, I just pray but most of us will move in and out. I pray that our hearts would be filled, we would be instructed by these amazing personalities that you highlight to us in your instruction of how to live. I pray that there would be the faith of Abraham. I pray there would be the faith of Isaac. I pray there'd be the faith of Jacob who became Israel in our lives. And we pray that as we look back at the end of this year, we'll say 24 2024, a door opened into heaven, and it's not just a one-year door. It becomes a lifetime of interaction and fruit and fruit and fruit that remains. God, we thank you for the harvest. We thank you that even as the world is tilting way toward crazy, that more and more people are going to be looking for rescue. God, we pray we would be not only that we would appeal to you, but that you would make our appeal through us, that we would be ambassadors of Christ, making that you would make your appeal through us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.